So good to see you all. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. Dave and I uh, stopped eating sugar about a year ago. Yeah, good job. It was the hardest thing I ever had to do in my life. Um, but the saving grace for us is that we found this recipe for pumpkin muffins. And uh, they use, there's no sugar in them. They use bananas for sweetener. And they are, Karen Vogel, are you here? Are they to die for or what? They're like yummy in my tummy. If you haven't had sugar forever, they're yummy. And in our house, they're like... Uh, sacred, are they not? Our son Mike moved back home this week, and I was like, oh, we got to share our muffins. (laughs) Not even going to lie, it came to my mind, because they're sacred. And Dave, he makes them much better than I do, so he's in charge of making them, and he makes them a couple times a week to satisfy our sugar craving. And I was at a bridal shower a few weeks ago, and while I was gone, he made pumpkin muffins. And the shower was about a block from our home, and I helped with the dishes right before I left the house, so my hands were in the water the entire time. And I got in my car and drove one block to our house, and when I got home, I noticed the muffins were sitting on the counter cooling, and Dave had a Tupperware container there with wax paper in them ready for the, the muffins to go into, and so I popped one in my mouth, and I proceeded to take the muffins out one by one and stack them in the Tupperware container. And at just that moment, Dave came around the corner, and he was like, Rhea, did you wash your hands? And I'm like, Dave, I just was washing dishes at Leslie's house a block away. My hands are in the water for 20 minutes. They're clean. And he's like, no, you touch the steering wheel on your way home. (laughs) And I did what any loving wife would do. I backed off and let him do it himself. But, but I, I chuckled when he said it because I was studying this passage. And I was studying about the importance of clean hands. And we're living in a time right now with COVID where clean hands are everything. And we're told to wash our hands often to hinder the spread of COVID. And sanitizing practices have increased. And we're more aware of things we touch and the importance of keeping our hands clean. But tonight, I want to talk to you about the importance of uh, spiritually clean hands and a pure heart. If you have your Bibles, open them to 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. I think I may read the whole chapter. Let's just see. Uh, Verse 1. Again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. It's a lot of men. And David arose and with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name, the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. So they set the ark of God on a new cart. If you underline in your Bible or circle, circle a new cart. That's going to be important. So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Adinabab. And it was on a hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God, and Ohio went before the ark. Then David 
and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments, of fir wood, on harps, on string instruments, on tambourines, on sistrums, and on cymbals. And when they came to Nathan's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error. And he died there by the ark of God. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of God of the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gedite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Now it was told to King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the city of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And so it was, when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, that he sacrificed the oxen and fatted sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all of his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Now, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Mike, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through the window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Then he distributed among all the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, both women and the men, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. So all the people departed, everyone to his own house. David, at this time, had been king over Israel for about seven years. We, we know that David was described in Scripture as a man after God's own heart, and he was a mighty man of battle. He was a warrior, and uh, this story is one of my favorite. I just love this story, and I've been parked in it for a couple of weeks now. And uh, for you to really understand this story, you, you have to have a little background. If you have, keep your finger in 2 Samuel 6, but flip back to 1 Samuel chapter 4. And we're going to look 4 through 6 just very, very quickly. Uh, in order to really grasp what's happening in 2 Samuel 6, you, you need to know about what took place in, in these two chapters of 1 Samuel. Um, you need to know that the Israelites, in the beginning of, of chapter 4 of 1 Samuel, the Israelites went to battle against the Philistines. The Bible says they went out to battle against them, but the Philistines quickly overtook them and began to defeat them, and, and Israel lost a lot of men. And when the Israelites went back to camp uh, that evening, the elders said, why did the Lord defeat us before the Philistines? See, they understood that the Philistines would not have had any power over them without the Lord giving it to them. And, and that was interesting to me that they would even recognize that because the spiritual condition of Israel during that time was, was lacking to say the least. It was, they had grown dull spiritually, and, and, and God was just 
basically another idol for them. And, but they thought, you know, it's a brilliant idea since, you know, this is how we all are, aren't we? When we're in trouble, when, when we're being defeated by something, when things are not going well, what do we do? <laughs> we might not have had time for God for a very long time. We might have had him on the back burner of our life. But you know what? When things get hard, we call on God, do we not? And, and the Israelites were not any different than, than we were, and, and, than we are. And, and so when they began to get defeated in this battle with the Philistines, they had this brilliant idea. That the Ark of the Covenant, and you'll remember that from our study in Exodus, the Ark of the Covenant is symbolic of God's presence with us, is it not? Uh, Moses, uh, God said to Moses, uh, you know, to build this Ark, and, and he put the Ten Commandments in, he put Aaron's rod in, he put some manna in, and he says, this is where I will meet with my people. I'm gonna, this is going to be symbolic of my presence with the people, that I'm going to meet with my people. And so they, they carried that ark with them wherever they went. And so Israel, even though they still had this ark, which was symbolic of God's presence, they really did not um, treat it with the honor and the reverence that they needed to treat it with. They really had grown dull spiritually. But when they were being defeated by the Philistines, their bitter enemy, they had a brilliant idea to take the Ark of the Covenant with them to call for it from Shiloh, see it wasn't with them in this battle, and to bring it into battle with them. And it wasn't because they really recognized the power of God and that they had nurtured a relationship with him all this time, that what they really saw it as was a good luck charm. And so uh, they, they summoned for the, the Ark of the Covenant to be brought to them. And you'll see in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, uh, two priestly sons of Eli. Do you remember Eli the priest? He had two sons. And those two sons brought the Ark of the Covenant into the camp. Now, these two men, it sounds like they were good guys. They were a priestly lineage. But what you may or may not know about them is that they were corrupt and they were impure. They were just going through the motions spiritually. And I want you to think about that. They were, they were the priestly lineage, and yet they were impure and immoral, so much so that 1 Samuel 2, verses 20, verse 22 says that they would seduce the women who assisted in the tabernacle and commit sexual immorality with them. I want you to think about the fact that these were the two priests, these were the, the, the two men that were called to bring the ark, the very presence of God, the glory of God, into the camp. Oh, I could park there and preach for a very long time. I, I said to Dave the other day, this pulpit should be considered holy, not polluted. When we stand behind this pulpit, a holy fear should grasp us. We should understand that when we open our mouths, we are representing God. We are preaching the word of God. We are handling the word of God. That we are handling the presence, the glory of God. But I'm afraid that is not the case anymore. I'm just telling you, I really believe it's not the case anymore. But it's interesting to me, it wasn't the case back in this time either. Eli, Eli's two sons, they were seducing women who assisted in the tabernacle and committing sexual immorality with them, and then they were handling the very presence of God, oh, church. And so they, they bring the ark into the camp, and, and it doesn't take long to figure out <laughs> that God allowed the Philistines to defeat the Israelites, even though they brought the ark with them into battle. 
They were basically just trying to use God. And they, uh, the Bible says that they allowed, the God allowed the Philistines to defeat the Israelites. And not only that, but at that time, the Philistines uh, grabbed the ark. They, they took the ark. And they kept the ark. It was captured by the Philistines, and they kept it for seven months. <laughs> but now remember, they, they were not God's people. Israel, while they may have been backslidden, and they may have been growing spiritually dull, they were still God's people. And that ark belonged to God's people. And, and, and the Philistines captured this ark, but everywhere they took it, it just brought trouble. They, they, they grew tumors. They, they, they had trouble in the camp. They, they, it's just one thing after another that happened. They had mice come, and they all got sick. And, and they, went, they took it from place to place, and everywhere they took it, it just brought more trouble. And it didn't take long for them to get uncomfortable with the presence of God. And then they decided they didn't want it anymore, and they returned it to Israel. And it's fascinating to me, though, how they returned it. If you look in this scripture, it says that they put it on a new cart. You see, a new cart, that word new cart is really, really important because it was kind of the Rolls Royce of transportation in Bible times. It's not a big deal to you and I, but you see, in Bible times, it would have been a cutting-edge technology, and they really were trying to do it right. They loaded it on the best thing they had, and they did something that Israel didn't do in chapter 6 of 2 Samuel. You see, they admitted their fault. And, and they, they made a sacrifice. They put a sacrifice on that cart with the Ark of the Covenant, and they sent it back to Israel. And Israel came into to town, and, and Israel saw it, and, and they sent the Levites, because you see, God had been, made it very, very clear that no one should handle the, the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, except the Levites. They were, they were chosen to service the holy things of God. And so the Israelites came, and they unloaded it from this cart, and, and it looked like it was a good thing. They were excited to see it come back after, after the, the, that amount of time that the Philistines had it, seven months without it without the presence of God but people got curious and five I think it was 50,000 men maybe 50,070 men <laughs> peeked inside they lifted the mercy seat and peeked in at the law and I'm telling you anytime you look at the law without mercy you're in trouble and those 50,000 men died immediately because they mishandled the presence of God. And we'll get back to that in a little bit. And, and when they mishandled the presence of God, they decided, too, that maybe it was a little much for them. And, and so they, 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 sent to, they sent messengers to Kirith-Jerium. That's where the people who serviced the, the holy things of God lived. And they told them to come and take the ark to their town. And, and this is all happening in, in 1 Samuel 4 through 6. And the ark ended up in the house of Abinadad. Scripture says that, that when it went to Abinadad's house, that they consecrated Eleazar, one of his sons. And, and that's, that's really important that you see that, that they, they consecrated Eleazar. That word consecrate means to, to set apart, to keep oneself separated, to be pure, to be clean. It's always used of physical purity and cleanliness because I'm, I'm just here to tell you if you want to get close to the presence of God, that's how you do it. It's important that you come with clean hands and a pure heart. It's, it, the, the word concentrate is used of a man who devotes himself to God. 
Scripture tells us that the, the ark remained in the house of Abinadad for the remainder of Saul's reign. And, and so it was probably in Abinadad's house for close to 70 years. What strikes me about this, and we'll get to it in a little bit, but, but the passage that I read to you tonight said that it was in the home of Obed-Edom for, what, three months? And what happened? He was blessed. Not only him, everybody in his household, everything in his household were blessed. And Scripture makes sure they tell us that, that in three months that he got immensely blessed. How long was he in uh, Abinadad's house? Seventy years. Do we read anything about him getting blessed? I'm telling you, I could park here. I could preach on the fact that, that, that you can have the presence of God. You can visit with the presence of God. You can have it in your home. You can have it near you all the time and, and not even be uh, influenced or affected by it. Or you can have it in your house for three months and be blessed immensely. I want you to see 70 years of having that ark in their house and we see no mention of them being e incredibly blessed. So for 70 years, it was in his house, and that's where the passage we read tonight picks up, where David is now going to summon for that Ark of the Covenant to come from Obed-Edom's house, uh, I'm sorry, from uh, Abinadad's house, and be brought to Jerusalem. David has established Jerusalem as the capital city uh, of Israel, and so he understands the importance of bringing, bringing the presence of God, oh, somebody, it's bringing the presence of God into the middle, the center of their life. He wants to make sure the presence of, the God, of, of God, the symbol of, of the presence of God, is in the center of their everyday life. Do you know how important that is? See, David was a man after God's own heart. He loved God. He was devoted to him. He understood the glory of God and the presence of God, and he wants his people now as the king. He wants his people to understand it as well. And so he summons for that Ark of the Covenant to come. It's very interesting to me that that's where this story picks up, that he gathered his choice men. He was picky. He got the best soldiers, and he took 30,000. Remember, he had just defeated the Philistines in chapter 5, but they were still enemies, and he's going to protect this ark. He takes 30,000 of his best soldiers. Think about that number, 30,000 men. And, and he arose, and he went with all the people to Baal Judah. That's where Abinadad was. It's just another name for the town he was living in. And he's going to bring up the ark of, of God. <laughs> but I want you to see in verse 3 what he does. So they set the ark of God on a what? A new cart. <laughs> As I said, make sure you underline that because we're, we're going to come back to that. They, they, they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on a hill, and Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadad, drove the new cart. Oh, there's so much there that I just want to talk to you about. As I said, he, he got a new cart, and, and that might look really good to you because, as I said, it was the Rolls Royce of transportation in, in David's time. And, and so it might sound super spiritual. It might look honoring to God. But, but what you don't understand is God had laid down some stipulation of how the ark was to be handled, how his presence was to be handled. And, and, and it, wasn't, it wasn't to be mishandled. I'm afraid that sometimes I go into meetings and I see the presence of God being mishandled. I think we've lost our reverence for the presence of God. I think we've lost our fear of God. I'm just going to tell you I, I do. 
And so we, we see that very clearly in this story. God had made it very clear how his ark was to be transported. And they were going to take that ark from Beth Shemesh into, back into Jerusalem. I think it was a, a, a trek of about nine miles. And, and so remember, <laughs> he's got those 30,000 men with him and, and the other people who have come with him. And, and there's great pomp and circumstance. He's going to have a parade as they bring that ark back into the city. And, and remember, it's a new cart. And the last time we heard about a new cart being used for the ark, who was doing it? The Philistines. Are they God's chosen people? No. Philistines are a picture of the world. And David, instead of doing what God told him to do, he, he's doing what the world said was good, what, what, the, what the, the new innovative way that the world said we're going to do it. Do, do you see that? And it's probably because the ark had been neglected for so long and God's word had been neglected for so long. I want to see the priest rise up at that time and say, no, you can't use a cart. We have to carry it on our shoulders like God told me. See, the glory is heavy and the priests need to be set apart. They need to be carrying the weight of his glory on their shoulders. They need to be priests who understand the power of his presence. They need to be priests who are set apart. They need to be priests who are pure and holy and who will not bow down to idols. And I want to see them rise up and say that. I want to see that happening in churches today. I'm just going to tell you that. I want to see pastors start taking the weight of his glory to heart and to understand that they carry the presence, that they are responsible for keeping clean hands and a pure heart. The priests don't say that. They let David bring this new cart and, and, and all they're really doing... <laughs> All they're really doing is doing what the world did. And in 1 Chronicles 15, we see that God uh, said that the, the cart needed to be carried on the shoulders of the priests. We see it over and over in Scripture, in, in Numbers, in Exodus, that, that God was very clear in how the holy things needed to be handled, that nobody could touch the ark, that, that it needed to be put on poles and then carried on the shoulders of the priests. Alan Redpath says, we want God's presence very much, don't we? But we like to hitch his presence to some new carts. We like to add him to our list of organizations to load him on top of the mechanics of a busy life and then drive. How much of our service is really in the energy of the flesh, I wonder. So often we put forth our hands, but not our hearts. Oh, I love it. It was a new cart. I, John Corson, one of my favorite commentaries, uh, commentators, says, what is a cart? It's a bunch of wood with big wheels, isn't it? <laughs> and that made me laugh when I read it because it's such a picture of the church today. We think big wheels, the big wheels. Let's call the big wheels in. They'll bring in the presence of God. We think that the newest upcoming speaker will bring in the presence of God. We think the newest, greatest marketing idea will bring in the presence of God. We think the fanciest backdrops and, and the newest websites will bring in the presence of God. But God has one way for his presence to be handled, one way for his glory to be brought in, and that's on the shoulders of the priest. The burden, the priest bearing the burden to bring it in. And they have to be priests with clean hands and a pure heart. I want you to notice the names of the two, two sons of Abinadab who brought the ark in. Who, who The Bible says they drove the cart. Yuzah, Yuzah that, that name means strength. 
And notice he's driving the cart. And Ohio, which is, his, that name means friendly. Oh, that's so interesting to me. Uh, Ohio, Ohio was out front and Uzzah was driving the cart. Uh, Mr. Friendly was out front and Uzzah, Mr. Strength, was driving the cart. And how much do we see that in the church today? Mr. Friendly out front and and strength and power, planning it behind the scenes, driving the cart, driving the glory and the presence of God. David Gusick said, much service for the Lord is like this, a new cart, a big production with strength leading and friendly out front, yet all done without inquiring of God or looking to his will. Surely David prayed for God's blessing on this big production, but he didn't inquire of God regarding the production itself. It was a good thing done in a wrong way. I'm just telling you one of the things that strikes me about David, if you read through the passages of Scripture where he went to battle, he always stops and inquires of the Lord. Do you see it? If you just look back in chapter 5 of 2 Samuel, it says he inquired of the Lord. But yet something as big as as bringing the Ark of the Covenant back from Beth Shemesh, what does he do? He doesn't inquire of the Lord at all. He just thinks he's going to give it a big pomp and circumstance. It's going to be a big parade. One commentator said we can't blame David. The presence of God had been neglected for so long. They were ignorant of God's word, and they mishandled the Ark because of it. I grieve over this. I can't even tell you. I was at a conference recently. It was a good conference. And it was actually this passage that uh, one of the speakers was talking about. And tumors in the passage in 1 Samuel 4 or 6, the, the word tumor there can mean hemorrhoid. And probably, Leslie, am I exaggerating, for 20 minutes, this speaker uh, paraded up and down talking about hemorrhoids. The, cl- the crowd was roaring I looked at Leslie and said, I have to get out of here. Because they were handling the glory and the presence of God in a way that was not becoming. I'm just telling you, it was irreverent. It was not something to laugh at. I'm just telling you, his word is not something to mock. It's not something to make fun of. It's not something to get a good belly laugh out of. I'm sorry, it's more serious than that. We are guilty of mishandling the presence of God. We have forgotten how reverent he is, how how holy he is, how other he is. The presence of God should never be mishandled. Man's way of handling the presence of God, that's that's what David did. It worked for the Philistines. Maybe it'll work for us. Nobody died with the Philistines. Maybe we can get the Ark of the Covenant here that way. And he neglected to inquire of the Lord. He neglected to follow God's will and his instruction. Look at verse 6. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Yuza, Mr. Strength, put out his hand to the ark and took hold of it. I, I love it. See the, the threshing floor. What takes place on the threshing floor? The wheat and the chaff are, are, are separated. The good and the bad is separated. They throw up the wheat and, and, and the good stuff falls one way and the bad stuff falls the other way. And, and they, it separates what's useless from what's valuable. Oh, it's no coincidence, church, that this is where that took place, that the useless from the valuable is separated on the threshing floor. And it's in this place that Uzzah died. You might say, well, Ree, what's the big deal? He touched the Ark of the Covenant. The big deal is that God said nobody should touch the Ark of the Covenant and that the priests are the one that, that, that should move it and they should be pure and holy and set apart. It was a violation of God's command in Numbers 4.15. said that no one was to touch the Ark and that the penalty would be death. 
God's command was clear, but the people treated the command of God so lightly. They were treating it flippantly, and it had consequences. William Barclay says, to lay a casual hand on the sacred ark was could be considered a sacrilege. Holy things must not be handled or mishandled. That's why it's so important, David says, that we have clean hands and a pure heart. It's shocking to me how quickly even the priests deviated from the commands of God. They should have known that Levitical priests should have been carrying the ark on their shoulders, and they weren't permitted to carry them. They weren't permitted to touch it. It's interesting uh, that, that, that the scripture says, and I've I, I got to find it here for you. I believe it's in number seven. It, it says that they could give wagons. God is assigning uh, the, the, his people different, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Different uh, provision. And, and it says, do not give any wagons to the Levites or the Kohasts, which were the, the, the group that was assigned to service the things of God. He said, don't give them any wagons because he wanted them to carry the sacred uh, objects on their shoulders, not on a wagon. So everybody else in, the, in Israel got wagons except them, except the Kohasts or the, 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 the Levites. But I think David thought, oh, new technology. <laughs> Lord could be impressed. We have to stay re relevant. We have to keep up on the times. See, isn't that so much of our worship today? We have to stay relevant. We have to keep up with the latest cutting-edge stuff and the newest up-to-date method. We want God to bless the production, but we've done nothing to inquire about God or seek his ways. And so they come to the threshing floor, and the threshing floor is basically a rock. And, and when they did, they, they hit a bump, and the, the ark started to, to slide off the wagon. And Yuzah, Mr. Strength, did what I think any of us would have done. He reached up to try to steady the ark, and when he did, he touched it, and he immediately dropped over. It was interesting to me. Uh, Mr. Strength thought he needed to help God. He needed to, to, to assist God. He needed to come to God's rescue. And isn't that interesting how much, I'm telling you just in my own ministry, how much I, I think I need to help God or I have a better idea and I just want God to bless it and let me give you a hand, God, with that and let me put, do my part. And, and really it's nothing about me. God is able to handle it all himself. He doesn't need my strength to do it for him. He doesn't need me to give him a hand. See, some of you want to give God a hand with your children. You want to give God a hand with your marriage. You want to give God a hand with your finance. And I'm telling you, he doesn't need you to give him a hand. He needs you to trust him and to follow his commands. Uzzah reached, and the Bible says that God struck him there for his error. If you look up that word error, I, I had it in my notes and I lost it somewhere. Leah, can you quickly look up the word error for me there? Um, I'm sorry, irreverence, that's what it is. Thank you so much, Masha. The word error means irreverence. For his irreverence, because he didn't revere the, the Lord, because he treated, he didn't honor the presence of God, he didn't honor the glory of God, he treated it irreverently, death came. And the place was named Perez Uzzah. To this day, that word uh, Perez Uzzah means breach of Uzzah, the breach of Uzzah. If you look up the word breach, I just Googled it today just in the dictionary, Webster's. It, 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 Webster's defines it as um, uh, failure to obey a command, the breach of Uzzah, his failure to obey the commands of God. He should have known not to touch that ark. 
David was afraid of the Lord that day. And, and rather than continue on to the city and take the ark into Jerusalem, he let it stay at the house of Obed-Edom uh, for the next three months. And then he found out that Obed-Edom was getting blessed as a result. And, uh, and so uh, the Bible says that David decided to send for the ark. And I, I believe, I'm reading between the lines here, but I believe now David realized his error. And I, be, I believe he began to seek the Lord. It, we know that because if you turn over to First Chronicles 15, verse 13, we see him say, for because you did not do it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult him about the proper order. Oh, I love it. So in 1 Chronicles 15, 11 through 15, we see that David now specifically commands the priest to carry the ark the right way the second time on their shoulders. And so now David sends for the ark. They're going to do it right. I want you to see just a couple little things here that just was, they were fascinating to me. Look in verse 5, the first parade, <laughs> the first pomp and circumstance when they're bringing the ark in for the first time before Uzzah was killed. Look at the instruments that were being played. Fir wood on harps and stringed instruments, tambourines, sistrums, and cymbals. What are those? A castanet. So they're, they're, Instruments they play with our fingers, with our hands, clean hands, remember, with our hands. Now, the second time when he gets the ark, and, 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 and we see in verse 13, the priests are bearing the ark on their shoulders. He decides they're going to go six paces, and they're going to stop. See, he got a picture of, of honoring the Lord and treating his glory with reverence. And, and so they're going to go six paces, and they're going to stop, and they're going to slaughter an oxen, and they're going to slaughter a fattened sheep, and they're going to praise the Lord. They're going to make a sacrifice, praise the Lord, pick up the ark, go six paces. How many miles did I tell you this was? Nine. Six paces at a time. Stop, sacrifice, make a sacrifice, praise the Lord, pick up the ark. Six paces, stop, make a sacrifice, praise the Lord. I mean, nine miles. Some commentators say maybe seven. Even so, six paces at a time. That's not very efficient, is it? But you see, David realized it wasn't about efficiency. Remember that the cart, which was very efficient, got Uzzah killed. He was going to do this one right. Six paces, stop, sacrifice, praise the Lord, pick up the ark, six paces. What's six, the prophetic number six? Does anybody know? Prophetic number of man or flesh. Can I tell you? That's about all I can handle is six paces before I need to stop and say, Lord, I did it again. I blew it again, Lord. And offer the sacrifice. <laughs> Come into agreement with him about my sin. Receive his sacrifice. Take the presence of God back up on my shoulders again. Because you see, I'll pollute it every single time. Six paces. But now look at the instruments they use this time. Shouting and with the sound of a trumpet. What's a trumpet? Would have been not, not a trumpet like we're used to. It would have been what? A shofar probably. So have you ever played a shofar? A wind instrument. What is wind symbolic of in the Word of God? Oh, you guys are really good. Holy Spirit. <laughs> hands, instruments of hands and fingers. Self, man, versus 
instruments of now the second time when David inquired of the Lord and really was going to do this the right way, the Spirit. It's not by might, not by power. It's by the Spirit. What is David wearing? He's wearing a priestly ephod. Uh, 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 what kind of ephod is it? A linen, which is symbolic of purity, Jesus. So they get to back to Jerusalem. They set the Ark of the Covenant safely in the tabernacle that David had built for him, and there's so much there that we could talk about. But here's what I want you to see. Then he distributed it among all the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, both the women and the men, to everyone, a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and the, new, and the King James says, and a flagon of wine. Bread, wine, meat. What is that symbolic of? Bread and wine is communion. Meat is, Hebrew says, <laughs> milk is for infants, but meat is for what? It's a picture of the deep things of God, the deep spiritual things of God. You see, when the glory comes in, when you move the glory, when you carry the glory into a place, people feast. They understand communion. They get in his presence and they commune with him. And now they're ready to receive the deeper things of God. Do you see it? I want you to think about one more thing. Six paces, sacrifice, praise the Lord. Six paces, sacrifice, praise the Lord. I mean, that's where all that meat's coming from, by the way, all those sacrifices. But what would that street have looked like? It would have been a bloody mess. Oh, praise the Lord. Because you see, that's the path we're on. The blood of Jesus made a way for us, made a way for us to enter into his presence boldly and confidently. We get to carry the presence Everywhere we go. Do you, do you understand that you are a presence carrier? I am so mindful of this, I can't even tell you. I can't even tell you. Somebody showed up at Stuart and Jill's house in the wee hours of the morning, and they called us, and they said, you know, th th this person was troubled and probably some demonic influence, and I was so disappointed that it was their house and not ours. Because, you see, I'm so aware that I carry the presence. I'm so aware that, that on my shoulders comes the presence of God. That everywhere I go, I get to usher in the presence. Everywhere you go as a follower of Christ, you get to carry the presence of God into a place. That means darkness cannot overcome light. It means light overcomes darkness. It means the demonic has no power. That you get to bring it in. That you get to bring it. See, it's so interesting. Right before we left tonight, Mikey said, can we just talk to you about Nike and these shoes that they have out and, and how... You know, he, they're, they're using Luke 18. I saw Satan fall like, like uh, lightning. And I said, but Mikey, the very next verse is, and I've given you power to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy and nothing can harm you. That's our promise. We carry the presence of God. It's not in an ark anymore. It's living in us. It's living in this chest, in this tabernacle. But just like I opened up this morning or tonight with that illustration about our muffins, I know you're sitting there saying, what in the world did those muffins have to do with this story, Rhea? Well, flip over to Psalm 24, and I'm closing. I just want to give this to you before I do. This is the psalm that David wrote. Commentators say David wrote this psalm 
after he saw Uzzah, Mr. Strength, die. Can you imagine watching that take place? Watching that ark start falling and Uzzah just reaching out. I mean, I just want to say, Lord, come on. He was just trying to help. And watching him drop over dead. That ark had been in his house for 70 years. See, I think when you, when you, sometimes we can get used to God's presence. It can become commonplace for us. We, you know, it's no big deal anymore. It doesn't, it's not something that wows us anymore. We're in church every Sunday, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We've been raised in the church. It's really not a big deal to us anymore. And we really don't understand the glory of God anymore. It's just commonplace for us. And I think that's where Uzzah was. I think that's where his brother was. That's why they could mishandle the presence. It lost his reverence. And, and so David, the commentators say, after David watched him die, <laughs> he wrote this psalm. The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend, climb up into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully, he, that man, should receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. Lift up your heads, you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors. David said, who can even ascend the holy hill of the Lord? Who can stand in your holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. He who has not lifted his hands to, to an idol. You see, if we're going to be people consumed with God and filled with his presence, if we're going to be people who understand that we carry the glory of the Lord everywhere we go, we get to be atmosphere changers. I, I'm just telling you, I am, I am mindful that everywhere I go, I'm an atmosphere changer. Today I pulled into the bank, and, and it's the bank I go to all the time, but I don't know the tellers, and I pulled in, and, and she was looking down, and she looked up and saw me in the car, and she's like, Rhea, how are you? And, and, and I thought, I get to change the atmosphere here. I, I get to just sow into her life, even in this brief drive-through. Everywhere I go, I'm mindful. My waitresses, I'm mindful. I get to bring the presence of God into that restaurant. When, I, when I'm with people who are depressed and, and it's a dark, people are always like, I don't like to be around drug addicts or alcoholics or troublemakers. I love it because I'm an atmosphere changer. And I am mindful that I carry the presence. This priest, because we are a royal priesthood. That makes us all priests. And, and we get to carry the presence of God. And I'm mindful of it everywhere I go. I get to carry the presence of God into a situation. And I get to change an atmosphere because they see the glory of God in my life. But they can't see it if I have dirty hands. See, hands get dirty. Dave made that very clear with his prized Muffins, a block from my house. Washed my hands for 20 minutes in the sink. But I touched the steering wheel, so I must have gotten germs. I had clean hands to start with, but my steering wheel got them dirty again. And I couldn't touch Dave's prized possession with dirty hands. And yet, I go through life 
And I wake up in the morning, I talk to the Lord, and I say, examine me and see if there's any wicked way in me. And what, six paces into my day, my hands are dirty again. Even if I'm watching my heart, even if I'm careful what I'm allowing into my life and my heart is pure, my hands get dirty. I get grouchy. I get irritated. I I say something I shouldn't say and my, my hands get dirty. Six paces. Stop. Be aware the flesh rose back up again. David said, who can ascend the hill of holiness? Who can stand in your presence? Spurgeon, I just want to close with this quote. Spurgeon said, outward practical holiness is a very precious mark of grace. To wash in water with Pilate is nothing, but to wash in innocency is all important. It is to be feared that many professors have perverted the doctrine of justification by faith in such a way as to treat good works with contempt. If so, we will receive everlasting contempt in the last great day. Those who draw near to God must have clean hands. What monarch would have servants with filthy hands wait on his table? They who were ceremonially unclean could not enter into the Lord's house, which was made with hands, much less shall the morally defiled be allowed to enjoy spiritual fellowship with the holy God. Clean hands would not suffice unless they were connected with a pure heart. True religion is a heart work. We may wash the outside of the cup and platter as long as we please. But if the inward parts be filthy, we are filthy altogether in the sight of God. For our hearts are truly, are more truly ourselves than our hands are. We may lose our hands and yet live, but we could not lose our heart and still live. The very life of our being lies in the inner nature, that, and hence the imperative need of purity within. There must be a work of grace in the core of the heart as well as the palm of the hand, or our religion is a delusion. That was Spurgeon. You see, we all cry out for revival, but if we truly want to know uh, a, a community alive with the power of God, we've got to realize that we need to start looking at our hearts and our hands. If we want to carry the presence of God, if we want to bring in the glory of God, if we want to usher in the glory of God, we have to start looking at these things. You say, well, Rhea, we talk about this all the time, and, and it's grace. You're saved by grace. Does somebody have an NIV? Because I don't. I have, a, I have a New King James. Anybody have an NIV I can borrow? Yeah. Can you turn to Titus for me? You're saved by grace, and, and it's so true. We are saved by grace, but that same grace empowers us and equips us. And, and so I want you to just look at this um, Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Because I, I think sometimes this is what I hear so often is, Rhea, you work too hard. You strive too much. Really? I'm saved by grace. I did nothing to earn it. I'm going to heaven because of grace, by faith in what God did on the cross of Calvary. That's why I'm going to heaven. But the same grace that saved me now is empowering me. And here's what Titus says. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It, grace, teaches us to say no to ungodliness 
and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager, somebody say eager, eager to do what is good. Then these are the things you should teach, encourage, and rebuke with all authority. That the grace of God has appeared, thank you, has appeared to us. And that same grace that saved us now empowers us and teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Keep our hands and our hearts clean and pure. That's what grace does. I'm telling you, church, I feel it with every ounce of my being. All the passages that the Lord has been placing on my heart to teach. I, I want to teach something different. I'm just telling you, I really do. Uh, but every time he, lead, he, he leads me to a new passage, and he, he, he presses on my heart what I have to teach, it's this. Because I feel so strongly. I, I'm telling you, I, I just, uh, we just got a, a, a text from Dave's brother, uh, Canacut Camp. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's a camp our boys went to, uh, one of our boys went to when he was little. One of their biggest uh, camp um, directors, camp leaders, just got, uh, just got arrested. I think he got two life sentences in 30 years for molesting boys. One of the biggest Christian camps around. And I'm like, Lord, what are you going to do about this? I, I just need to talk to you about this. What are you going to do? What are you going to do about the pulpit, Lord? What are you going to do, Lord? What are you going to do about hey, my, my daughter called me the other day, and she said, Mom, I just need to ask you a question. She said, I just keep saying to God, who is living it? Who's living it? I said, Brooke, are you talking about your mom? And she said, you're my mom. She said, I'm telling you, where is there a preacher who's living what he believe, what he's preaching? This is my daughter, 31 years old, saying, I don't even know where to turn anymore, Mom. Who is really living it? And church, we have got to get to a place. I I'm just going to tell you, I know I can tell you you're without excuse because I know what I'm preaching. I know what I'm preaching and you what you're hearing. That's why the Bible says give careful attention to what you hear. We've got to come to a place where we understand. I'm just telling you, this life is a vapor. Oh, my goodness. I, I see sweet Jake behind the camera. It's so good to see him, and I just love him so much, and he's so young, and I wish I was young again. I just wish I had energy like that again, but I'm not, and life is a vapor. Bam. I'm, I, I feel like I'm that age. I'm not. It just happened overnight. I got old, and where did life go? Seriously, is it not? It's a vapor. And, and it's like going out in the, in the winter, you know, and you blow and you, it's, the vapor's there and it disappears. That's how life is. And there is a time coming where we are going to stand before the Lord. And we're going to have to give account, the Bible says. And I'm telling you, eternity is real. This is a vapor. It's real. Eternity is forever. It's forever. And we need to start thinking about eternity and living with eternity. The Bible says he planted eternity in our 
hearts. You see, the reason David was bringing that, that ark into Jerusalem is because he knows that everybody, every one of us, longs for the glory of God. We long for the, the presence of God. The, Pascal said that, that every man has a God-shaped vacuum in his heart, and it can't be satisfied with anything but God. That's a loose translation of his quote, but it can't be filled with anything but God. Nothing else will satisfy us, and it's because God has placed eternity in our heart. We are created for that glory. We're created to, to be in his presence. And we're so busy trying to find the thing that will finally satisfy us that we're like those Israelites, not aware of the glory that's in our camp, not aware of the power that's at, that's at our fingertip, not aware of the beauty of his presence. I'm going to ask Megan to come and, and, and play. And I just, as she closes, I just want you to, to, to really just take the moment while she's singing and, and just examine your heart and just say, Lord, have my hands gotten dirty? I'm giving you permission, Lord, to examine me and, and see if there's any wicked way in me. Lord, put your finger on anything in my life that needs to change. But I want to be a glory carrier. I want to usher in your presence to a lost and dying world around me. But who can ascend your holy hill? Who can stand in your presence? Only those with clean hands and a pure heart. And who have not bowed to an idol? Oh, it grieves me when I think about the things in my life that I've made idols. That I put more value on than even God that monopolizes my time, that takes my energies, that fills my mind. Those are idols. Anything that usurps the power of God in your life is an idol. Anything you put more value on than Him is an idol. And so as Megan closes, I just invite you to just Spend a few moments in the presence. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people created for God. And he is inviting you closer. He wants you to experience his glory like you never have before. So many of us are like those Israelites. God's in our camp, but we've just lost sight of his power. So, Father, I pray that in these remaining moments that you just make yourself so real. You just descend on this place and that you would speak to hearts. Bring conviction where conviction's needed, Lord God. Heart change. Soften hearts, Lord. Hearts that have been hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Places where we've grown stale spiritually. Awaken our souls, Lord God. Anoint our ears to hear your voice afresh. And 
to feel the prick of your spirit, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name.